This week, probably someone around you in some way was struggling. Maybe, you, maybe it's something that they shared with you. Maybe it's just something that you observed. Maybe somebody is suffering in some way. Maybe you see someone struggling with sin in some way. Uh, maybe it's just that you see people's lives and it's not necessarily suffering or struggling, but you see what could be. You see the more that God intends for them to have and for them to be able to experience probably someone in your life. Maybe it's friends, maybe it's people in your community group, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's your kids, that you see what could be, where God could take them, where God could lead them. You see the pain, you see the sin, you see the more that could be, and and we want to help. We want to be a part of that in some way. Sometimes we don't know what to say, sometimes we don't know what to do, but we see people, we hear things all the time around us, and we want to be able to help. We want to be able to be there for people and help them experience the growth that God has for them. And it can be hard, though. Sometimes we're just scared, we're afraid to say something, sometimes we're busy and distracted, and even the people around us, we know that, ah, I could encourage, I could help, but I don't really know what to say, and I've got other things going on, and we make maybe a mental check mark that we'll come back to that, but we don't. We see things happening around us all the time. We want to be a part of it, but there's a lot of challenges that, it, that, that keep us from being involved in the way that we could or maybe in the way that we would want to. But what if in the relationships in your life, again, we've got all sorts of relationships. So what if in your, your, your marriage, what if uh, parents with your kids, what if friends with the people around you and your community group, what if we really could help? What if we could really help people more experience what God has for them in their life? What if we could really be a part of that? What if we could really receive that? What if the people around us really could help us in our sin and in our suffering and to become more fully the people that God intends for us to be? What if we could help people move? And what if we knew how to let others help us move? That's what we're going to talk about today. And to understand that, we need to first know what God's goal is in leading us or what our goal should be in leading one another and what it is that God uses to lead us and then how we can practically be a part of that. So I'm going to read to you this passage and we'll be just staying in this passage for uh, the whole time today. Uh, sometimes in this series we've been bouncing around, but I think this passage gives us just a really helpful look at this topic. Hebrews 3, 7 through 19 says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and he is quoting then here uh, some Psalms and other Old Testament scripture, today, if you hear his voice, God's voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. He's talking about in the Old Testament, and I'll just give you a little bit of background on this really quick, but in the Old Testament, God led his people out of Egypt. They were in slavery. God leaves them out of slavery in Egypt. They cross the Red Sea, and now they are wandering through the desert to the promised land where God promises that he will take them. But for those 
40 years that they wander in the desert, they continually complain against God, they continually disobey, they continually rebel against God, they continually don't trust God. That's the story of what happens. And so because of that, God says, you're just going to wander around the desert for 40 years, and then it's going to be your children that end up going to the promised land that I've promised for you. You won't actually be able to go. So that's kind of the background of this. And he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Let's start with this. Where is God leading us? And the reason we start with that question is because wherever God is leading us is what our goal should be in leading one another. Wherever God wants to take us is what our goal should be as we look at each other as we are suffering or sinning or just that we want more for people. What God's goal is in our life should be our goal for one another. And so where is it that God is leading us or what is our goal in helping one another. And he starts, let me, let, me, let me start answering this question by showing what the danger is that we could experience. The danger that he says we could experience is unbelief. He says, watch out. And then he mentions this a couple times that you don't have an unbelieving heart. And then closes the section by saying that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. That's the danger. The danger that we need to watch out for the danger that potentially could affect each of our lives and the people's lives around us that we care about, our kids, our spouse, our community group, our friends, the danger is unbelief. That's what could happen, an unbelieving heart. God is glorious. He's beautiful. All ultimate reality and truth is in God. Perfection is in God. Life with God is everything that we are designed for and made for. But our drift is life away from Him, without Him. Not trusting who He is and what He says and what He has done. Which means then we miss out on what could be. We miss out. If, if we have unbelief, we miss out on reality. Imagine that you were, um, uh, imagine that you, let's say, are a multimillionaire or billionaire. Since inflation, millions don't really matter anymore. You're a billionaire, okay? Not one of those poor millionaires. You are a billionaire, okay? And you've got all the money. But something happens and 
I don't, you get knocked on the head and, and you don't believe that anymore. And someone comes to you and says, no, you are, you're a billionaire, but you're anxious about money. You don't know, you're, you're anxious about work and you, you're anxious about being able to provide for your family and, and you, you don't, uh, you know, you're, all, you're, you're never going out to eat or enjoying spending money on things because you, don't, you feel like you don't have any money and you're poor and you, there's, an, there's a reality over here that's true, but if you don't believe that it's true, you miss out on it. This, this is a true story that there was a, a soldier in Japan, uh, and he didn't know that the war, World War II, was over. And he was hiding out in the jungle for decades. And people would say to him, it's over. There were leaflets that were dropped because they knew that this man lived in the jungle. And he would go and attack and kill people, thinking he was still fighting guerrilla warfare. And there was leaflets that would be dropped and say, no, the war is over. It's okay. You, you, are, you can come out. You don't have to be hiding in the jungle, drinking your sweat from your socks and eating crickets. And you, you, can, you can come out. But he didn't believe it. And he lived, even though there was a reality of freedom, there was a reality of peace, there was a reality that he was actually honored as a hero. There was all of this reality. He didn't believe it. So he didn't experience it. Hebrews says, the danger is that we live with unbelief. God is glorious. Life with God is amazing. But we could live with unbelief and then miss it. We could live not believing God forgives me. We could live believing, I don't know if God's in control or not. I don't know if I can trust God or not. I don't know if God's for me. I don't know if God's actually good. I don't know if God actually has grace for me. I don't know if, if life with God is best or if other things are better. We could live with unbelief and then miss out on what God has for us. Not knowing that there's a peace that we could have, a comfort we could have, a goodness that we could have a forgiveness and a removal of shame and guilt that we could have. We could live missing all of that on a daily experience. And then what happens is without belief, if we have unbelief, we end up turning away. He says an unbelieving heart that turns away. Because if you don't believe that this is true, if you don't believe that here is who God is and here is what he offers and all the things I mentioned, his grace and his forgiveness and his acceptance and his strength and his comfort and his power. If you don't believe that, if you have unbelief, then we turn away. Which means we turn away to other things. We look for other sources that might provide for us the peace that we're looking for, the acceptance we're looking for, the comfort that we're looking for. We turn away from God to try to find it elsewhere. I don't believe that God is the source of comfort and peace, so I need to find it somewhere else. I don't believe that God is the source of my acceptance, and so I need to make sure that I'm accepted over here. I don't believe that God is the source of my validation and my justification, meaning knowing I'm okay, so I have to make sure that I'm able to be successful at some things or that I'm seen as good at certain things to, so that I know I'm okay, because I don't believe that I have it over here. We turn away and we look for it in other things. 
Or we just turn away and we, we don't trust him. We don't feel like we need him. This is what they did. This is what happened with Israel as they left out of Egypt. They did not believe, and so constantly they complained. Are you just leaving us out? Why didn't you take us out of Egypt? Are you, are you just leading us out here to die? They constantly didn't trust what God said. God said, I want you to go into this land. And they said, yeah, but there's crazy warriors over there, and there's, they're all going to kill us. And God is saying, you don't, you don't believe. I'm trying to lead you into something good. You don't believe that I'm strong enough. You don't believe that I'll care for you. And they turned away. God says, I'll provide for you. I'll take care of you in the wilderness. They complain and they don't believe that he's good. They think that he's against them. And they create false gods and they worship idols and they're constantly turning away from him because they don't believe. This same thing happens in our life. When we don't have belief in who God is, we end up wandering away to other things that can provide what we think God can't provide. Or we just grow cold to God. We grow apathetic to God because we don't believe who he says he is. So where is God leading us? I want to start that question with just saying, here is what God knows could happen. Here's what God knows the drift could be. And even for these people, as it said in the passage, that he saved and that he did all of these amazing works and they still miss it. It's not unbelief and they've got no evidence. It's not unbelief and God just show me a sign. It's, I mean, think about what happened with Israel. If you know the stories, the 10 plagues that God does in Egypt and all these miraculous things and parting the Red Sea. And I mean, there's miracle after miracle, bread falling from the sky. And I mean, there's these amazing miracles that God does. And they still don't believe who he is. We can be the same way. So God says, watch out that you don't develop unbelief that leads you to turning away because where he's leading us and what he wants for us is rest. <clears throat> and you see this in the opposite of what he says they won't get to experience. But that means that's where he was trying to take them all along. They will not enter my rest. Whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? And later, they were unable to enter the rest because of unbelief. God is leading them to enter his rest. Leading them to enter into the promised land where they can now live securely knowing I have a good God that loves me, that cares for me, that is for me, that has saved me. And there's a rest that he wants to lead them to, to experience. That's the same thing that he wants for us. That's why this author is bringing this up. God wants us to enter into where he's leading us is to experience the rest that comes with, I have a God that has saved me in Jesus. I have a good God that is for me. So I, I know there's all sorts of chaos going on in my life. I know there's all sorts of problems, but I know I have a God that's for me. I have a God that's in control of the world. What, what if, and I know you've got crazy things going on. I know there's things you're stressed about. I know there's things that you probably are worried about. But what if we believed, and I know it's hard to get our mind to that place, but what if you believed God is in 
control. Now, I know you believe that. No one would say, I don't think God's in control. He's a loser. No one would say that. But what if you actually believed it? What if you could actually say, I know God's in control? Wouldn't that create rest? What if you, what if you knew, what if you could say, no matter what happens in my life, I know if everything else is stripped away, God is present with me. Wouldn't that create rest? What if you knew that you were forgiven and didn't have to prove anything, didn't have to earn anything, didn't have to, didn't have to fight to, okay, I'm, I'm okay now. But there was a rest that came spiritually with knowing Jesus, as we sing, paid all of it. Wouldn't that create rest? See, it's those same things he was trying to lead them into, and it's what he wants to lead us into, which is to experience that rest. What do you think of when you think of rest? Maybe it's going to sleep. Maybe it's just kind of after a long, hard day, sitting down. Maybe it's getting in a hot tub like we talked about last week. If you were here, I won't bring that up again. Um, I think of, uh, we go hiking a lot. So I think of, after we went on an eight-mile hike a couple weeks ago, uh, and when you, when you get home and you take off your shoes, that feeling right when the shoe comes off, it's just like ah, steam usually comes out, you know? <laughs> and it's just like, oh, there's this release. It just feels so good. You peel your sock off, and it's just like, oh, that, I think that's what I was thinking about this morning, of just, what is rest? Like, that's, I think of that. That, that feels rest. Think about peeling off your socks spiritually. That's what God wants us to experience. Rest. <laughs> Maybe that'll stick with some of you. That's the rest that God desires for us to have, to know who he is, to experience and believe and have everything else peeled away and say, this is who you are and I know who you are and I can rest in that. I trust you. I believe who you are. That's what God wants for us. It's where he's leading us. How does he do it? What does God use to lead us to that place? Because that's a beautiful reality. We want that. What does God use to get us there? How does he take us to that point? And what it says is that he speaks. He, it's his voice. That's why he says two different times, and if we were to keep reading the text, he even keeps saying the same phrase. But today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then later, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's trying to get across the point. God wants to lead you into his rest. And the way that he is trying to get you there is with his voice. He's speaking to you. So don't resist his voice because his voice, his word, what he's saying is intended to get you to that rest. We all know that words have power, right? We all know that words have power. I mean, something as simple as writing somebody a note can, can lift up their day, can encourage them, can change, can change them. 
We know that words have power. Maybe there have been words spoken to you. And sometimes we say something like this. I know that as a pastor talking to people, I have heard people make this comment before saying, I can't get that voice out of my head. A lot of times something negative that was spoken to you. Something someone said. A daughter, a grown woman, but a daughter said that her dad had told her that she was a very unkind word that you don't say to women. And that word stuck in her head as a grown woman crying to her pastor. Words are powerful. They can stick with us. They can stay with us. We can ruminate on them. If a word gets inside of you, it has power to change you. And positively too. Words can set the direction for our life. I know words that have been spoken to me, that have encouraged me, that have challenged me, have set the course. I can look back at certain moments and say, if that person hadn't talked to me, if that person hadn't spoken to me, if that person hadn't encouraged me, I don't, I don't know what would have happened. I'm a pastor and a leader today because someone spoke to me and said, I think this would be good for you. I, I see this in you. Really? Words spoken. There's things in your life that people have spoken to you. And the greater the word is, or excuse me, rather, the greater that the person is speaking the word, often the more effect that it has. So if some random stranger on the street comes up to you and says, I believe in you, you're going to go, thanks. But if a coach or a teacher or someone close to you speaks those same words or someone that is where you want to be and is beyond where you are, but in the same kind of field, let's say, and they speak to you. They're, because of the greatness of who that person is, the words have more power in your life. And God says he wants to take us into his rest. And the way that he uses that is his word. He speaks to us. He speaks to us to get us to where he wants us to be. But often, oftentimes, as it said, we harden our hearts. He doesn't want us to have an unbelieving heart that turns away. And so he speaks to us. But what it said was, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because that's our tendency. God speaks. Listen, you, many of you come here every week. Or you may read your Bible. Or you may be in a community group or in a life transformation group, an LTG, and, and you hear God's voice. And oftentimes, it is not an absence of God's voice. It's not just that I need more. I need to hear more. The Bible's filled with these warnings to us. Jesus says, don't just hear and deceive yourself. James says, don't just hear, but be doers of the word. It's easy for us to hear. He says, you hear God's voice, but our tendency is often to harden our hearts. We harden our hearts. 
God is wanting to get his word inside. He's wanting to get it to that place where we say, I hear that voice in my head. He's wanting to get it into that place that it can enter into our heart and actually change us. It actually doesn't kind of just hit the surface and bounce off, but it gets into the core of us, who he is, what he's done for us, not just at a surface level, but he's wanting to get it inside into our hearts, but we can harden them and create this resistance. We do that when we hear God's word and we say, ah, yeah, but that's not really for me. Or yeah, but you don't understand. Or yeah, but does that really mean? Or yeah, but my situation. Or, or we just hear it and kind of ignore it. We hear it and say, I'll think about that later, but not right now. I don't have time. Or we hear it and we say, yeah, maybe at some point. We hear it and it, it doesn't get inside. We harden our hearts. You may feel that happen. You may feel that happen even on a Sunday, that as you hear God's word preached, you hear what God says, and you feel yourself actually creating some kinds of barriers to say, I don't want that to get inside. I need to find a way to actually protect that from getting inside. You don't know my situation. Yeah, but this. And we've got all of these defenses that all of a sudden come around and protect us. He says, do not harden your hearts. You're hearing his voice, but we can harden our hearts by ignoring it, by pushing it down, sometimes just by being distracted. You hear God's voice speaking to you, and we go, uh, what's happening on my phone? Oh, I didn't even turn it on. I'm just looking at a blank screen, but I, what's going on? I need to look at something else. We just distract. He says, do not harden your hearts, because God wants his voice to get inside of your heart. He wants everything that we were talking about before, about what rest is and belief and who he is. He wants inside your heart to know who he is and what he's done for you. He wants inside your heart you to see, I can trust him. He's good. He loves me. He cares for me. He's strong. He's in control. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. He's devote. He wants that getting in your heart. And we can resist it. So how, how can his voice get inside of our hearts if that's a tendency that we can have? It says God's voice is the tool that he uses to lead us, but how does he bring his voice into our life? And he could have said a lot of things. This author could have said a lot of things. He could have said, so therefore, God wants what God uses to lead you is his voice, so therefore, read your Bible. That's true. He could have said that. He could have said, maybe he couldn't have said this, but podcast. He could have said, you know, make sure you listen to a lot of sermons. And all of these things are good. All of these things are valuable. He could have said, read books that, that help you understand God's word. He could have said that. There's a lot of things that he could have said. He could have said, pray and Make sure you focus on listening to God's voice. There's a lot that he could have said. But what he chose to say here is encourage each other daily while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened. See, God uses his voice to get you to the rest that he wants you to experience. Our tendency is to harden ourselves when that voice comes. And so the way 
or what God uses to get us there is his voice often through the mouth of other people. His voice through the voice of you. The way that God will do this in your life and the way that God will do it in the relationships around you, the way that God will do this with your spouse and with your kids and with your friends and in your community group isn't just, here's a book, here's the Bible, here's a sermon, but it comes from your voice. Encourage each other while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened. There's a danger of an unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but so that that doesn't happen, God says, I design your voice to be my voice in their life. Now, the reason for that is because without the voice of other people, oftentimes we are hardened by sin's deception. That's why. Because by ourselves, it's easy to convince ourselves of things. By ourselves, one of sin's properties is inherently self-deceit. Listen, we just step aside spiritually for a second. Just as people, it's hard to have self-awareness. It's hard a lot of times to know who you are and what you're bad at and what you're missing. It's hard. You don't, I mean, just at a basic level, you don't know if you've got something in your teeth. Everybody smile. I'll tell you who's got something. You don't know, right? You don't know. It's, it's hard to see ourselves. I remember that there was, a, this was a few years ago, that I had bought a video game, an old, like, original Nintendo video game. I'd bought, I've, uh, Super Tech Mobile, and I got it, and I was like, oh, man, I am so good. I could beat every single team. I was killing it. And so then I brought it, and I used to play this growing up with my older brother. So I brought it to his house at Christmas. And he destroyed me every single time. It's like something is wrong with this controller. On the flight over, it must have gotten jostled or the buttons are stuck. And I thought I was amazing. I could beat the computer. But my brother was way better. And I was just, this, this is not, this must have been a mistake on the first round, on the second round, on the third round. It's like, whatever, we're not playing this anymore. Stupid game broke. There's <clears throat> too much humidity in Seattle and it like got in there, in the, in the cartridge. It's easy to be self-deceived, to think we're good at something and not be. I remember when I got married. If you guys have come to our marriage class before, I usually say this. I remember when I got married that in our pre-marriage process, I read this book about, as most people do, going through a pre-marriage process. I read this book. I read it and was like, that's good stuff. This is basically what I do. And, you know, put it away. And then after a year of being married, I read it again. It was highlighting everything. It's like, oh, that's so good. Oh, oh, I can't believe that. Oh, that's such a good point. Because I thought I was the best husband when I was single, just in my imagination. Then I got married, and you realize, wait a minute, I'm selfish. Wait a minute, there's problems. Wait a minute. Okay, this is not good. And same thing happens when you have kids. You think you're amazing, and then you have kids, and you realize, oh, I'm selfish. I've got this problem. I've got that problem. Because we need other people in order for us to see the areas that we are deceived in. Because by ourselves, we convince ourselves of things. By ourselves, we say, I've talked to so many people that have told themselves, this is fine, this is fine, this is fine, this is fine. They share something like, dude, you know the Bible says that's not true. Oh, you're right. Like, you knew that, but you deceived yourself. It's so easy. 
Which is why he doesn't just say, go read your Bible or go listen to sermons or go do something by yourself. But we need the voice of God coming through the voice of one another because we deceive ourselves. We think that we're the exception. And listen, it has momentum. That's part of what hardening means is the more that you do this, the more it gets easier and easier to keep doing it. The more that you deceive yourself, the more it keeps getting easier to do it. So what does God use to lead us? He uses his voice coming through the voice of other people. God has a goal in mind for you and a goal in mind for the people around you. God is trying to lead us, lead you somewhere, but it takes his voice through others. So let's just pause here for a second and ask, do you have that? Meaning, do you open yourself and say, I need your voice. Do you have that? Do you say and give people access and say, I need your voice? You don't do this with everybody. That would be foolish. But do you open your heart and say, I know I need other people's voices? And do you give that? Do you give that to the relationships around you? Do you let God's voice come through your voice and lead other people? to experience what he has for them. Do you do that with your kids? Do you do that with your spouse? Do you do that with your community group? Do you do that with your friends? Do you have that? Do you give that? And then the last thing is how do we participate in God's leading? God wants to lead to rest. The way that he does that is his voice coming through, mainly the voice of other people, this is, and I, maybe I shouldn't even say mainly, but is a key way because reading your Bible and being here on a Sunday, all these things are important, but this is a key way that God does this. So how do we participate? And it's just the same thing that we already looked at. It's just this word, encourage each other daily. That phrase, that's what he gives to us. He gives all this context and all the different stuff, but the command that he gives in this passage is encourage each other daily. That's what we're called to do, to encourage each other daily. Now, if you think about that sentence, to encourage each other, it means multiple things. First of all, it means we have to remember and know what the goal is. You can't encourage someone towards something if you don't know where you're trying to take them. You can't encourage someone to something if the goal is wrong. Or you could encourage them, but you'd be leading them to the wrong thing. So in order to participate in God's leading, we have to know what the goal is, which means not our agenda. It's not just what we want for people's lives. It's not just the way that we want them to change or the way that we just think that they should be different or do different. We need to know what is it that God wants for their life. A lot of times as we encourage people or seek to move people on, we're really just operating from our preferences. Maybe we're operating from our annoyance. We're just If you would change, that'd be a lot better for me. So could you move over here instead? But it's not really that our goal is, I want you to experience the rest of God. I want you to not have an unbelieving heart. I want you to be able to experience all that God has for you. 
our goal is really just, you're annoying me, and so you got to stop. That's my goal. If that's parents, if that's what our goal is for our kids, that's not what God's goal is. If, if spouses, if that's what our goal is in our marriage, is just, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to encourage you. But it's not actually, I'm trying to get you to experience more and to know more of who God is, but just I just want you to stop hurting me so that my life's more comfortable. Those are different agendas. Those are different goals. It sets a different tone in how we approach things. So to encourage one another daily means we have to have God's goal. But that also means that we're not concerned about, I just want people to like me. Because a lot of times our goal is, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I want to make sure people like me. I want to preserve all kind of peace and quiet in this relationship. And so we never actually speak the things that God wants to do in someone's life because we just want to be liked. That's not the goal either. So we can fall off on either side. We can fall off on the side that is speaking all the time, really just because we want people to change because it would make our life better or because of our own self-righteousness. Or we cannot speak at all because we don't want anyone to get upset with us or not like us because that would be awful. But to participate in God's leading means we need to have God's goal. So here's what we have to do. We have to ask in our relationships, what does God want? What is God's goals for this person's life? What does God want to see happen? What does God want to do? Which means we have to be listening to his voice. We can't do it if we're not listening to his voice. That's the first thing. We have to have the right goal. But then we have to have awareness of where someone is. If we want to encourage one another, we need to know where it is that God is leading them. But we also need to know where are they right now. It's hard to encourage someone if you don't know where they are. It's hard to lead someone to something if we don't really know what's going on right now. What are they missing right now? Where is their unbelief that's potentially living there right now? Where maybe they hardened? Where maybe they deceived right now? We have to actually know where people are in order to encourage them to what God's calling them to be. A lot of times we just assume things. We might assume the best, which is generally a good idea, but we might assume, oh, I bet that they're fine. And we might assume the worst. Neither of those are good. Instead, we should just listen. Instead, we should just ask questions and have an awareness. Where are they? Try to move one step deeper in our conversations. Ask questions. Tell me more about that. That's a, you can just, here's a magic phrase, ready? Tell me more. That's it. We can, people can share things. Tell me a little bit more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more. There you go. That could take an hour, maybe. But the, that, that idea is to say, go a little bit deeper in our conversations to get to know what's actually going on in people's minds, in their lives, in their hearts. It's hard to take people and to lead people and to encourage one another daily if everything is really superficial and surface level, right? How are you going to do what this passage is calling us to do if you don't actually know somebody? 
How are you going to help people not have unbelief that leads them to turning away? And how are you going to help people not be deceived and be hardened if, you don't, if, you, if all you know is what they did on the weekend? If all you know is what they think about their sports team? Now, I'm not saying any of those things are bad. Those things are great. Surface-level chit-chat often builds kind of a framework for deeper conversation. I'm just saying, go deeper. Take the conversations, take the people in your life, go deeper. Go a step deeper to get awareness of where someone is. And let me say this, if you're on the other end, you've got to be willing to share a step deeper. Some of you have heard me talk about this before, but a lot of times uh, I think about this from just a prayer request standpoint. A lot of times we ask for prayer for something and we usually keep it to the situation. So could you pray for my job? Could you pray for uh, this trip that I have coming up? Could you pray for um, this uh, you know, challenging situation that I'm facing? But we don't necessarily share our heart in the matter. What is it about the job? I can pray for your job, but how could I pray for you? What's going on in your heart that you need prayer for? Well, I'm actually really afraid or I'm tempted in this to, to be dishonest. or I'm, like, What if we don't just share the situation, but we share the heart? What if instead of just pr- only praying for uh, physical pain, we actually pray for your emotions as you're experiencing that physical pain. I'm just really discouraged. Is it always going to be like this? Am I always going to feel like this? I'm tempted to complain all the time. I'm tempted to be short with people all the time because I'm experiencing this physical pain. What if we share with others to give them an awareness of what we actually need prayer for, the situation and our heart? See, God wants us to be involved in each other's lives by encouraging each other daily. But that takes an awareness of where we need the encouragement, which means we have to be good at asking questions, and it means we have to be good at letting people in a step deeper. People will never be able to do what we're talking about if we don't actually allow them to see where it is that we need the encouragement. And then the final piece is that we actually have to speak to encourage each other. We have to know the goal. We have to have an awareness where someone is. And then in the middle, we have to speak. We have to actually encourage. And there's a lot of ways that we can do that. Sometimes that encouragement is keep going. Sometimes that's what the encouragement is. It's keep going. It's to help someone to be kind of the, in in maybe more of a, you know, a cheering them on. Man, this is good what you're doing. Keep it up. Sometimes the encouragement is helping people see where God is working in their life. Sometimes it's easy for us to miss, but we can help someone else see. Man, I see you growing in this way. I see God active in your life. I see God's generosity through you. I see God's hospitality through you, God's kindness through you. I see God's thoughtfulness through you. And we help people see where God's at work in their life because that helps us step further into then what God has for us. Sometimes it's just to remind with the truth of the Bible. Here's who God is. Here's what he's done. All the different truths of belief that God wants us to experience, we remind each other. Do you know that God is for you? Do you know that God is good? Do you know that God is gracious? Do you know that God's in control? 
We remind people with the truth. We, we take the, the word that we are receiving and then we help to communicate it to one another. We take his word and we bring it into each other's lives. We have to know, though, what people are facing and what they're going through and where it is that they need who God is. And then we remind them. We show them, here's who God is. Here's who he is to you. We bring that truth. So it can look like a lot of things of how we actually speak. It can be encouraging. It can be, it can be helping people see where God's at work. It can be showing them where they're missing it and where they're not believing. And where they're believing lies or where they're self-deceived. And then with all of that, we do it daily. Encourage each other daily. Interesting that he says that, right? doesn't just say encourage each other, but encourage each other daily. This isn't supposed to just be a, a once-in-a-lifetime thing or a kind of a life-changing moment. or you know, Maybe there's times that an intervention is helpful. We need, to have a, we need to really sit down and have a conversation. Those can be helpful. But he's talking about a culture. He's talking about an ongoing lifestyle. That's why I'm saying this is something we need to do in our marriages and with our kids and with our friends and community group. It's, it's a lifestyle because we are tempted to not believe every day. We're tempted to harden our hearts every day. We're tempted to miss out on what God has for us every day. And God wants us to experience his love and his goodness and his grace and his rest daily. And so he calls us to be each other's to be the voice of God in each other's lives every day which is why it's not just pastors that he's speaking to or counselors or therapists or professionals but he says do this to one another we need daily voices in our life with one another that's why we have community groups and life transformation groups to try to give a context where you can have not just one person speaking God's word to you, but you can have people daily in your life speaking to you. So, we all want to help the people that are around us. We see people struggling all the time. Stressed out, anxious, in sin, or we see the more that could be in their life. We want to help. We want to be a part of what God could do in their life. And God's plan is for us. God's plan is for us to make a commitment to receive and to give. That's God's plan. God is wanting to lead us into rest in all of this belief that he has for us. You might have in your life friendships. You might have people that you have fun with. You might have people that uh, you enjoy. But God wants more than just that. God wants you to be a part of helping people transform. And God wants to use the people in your life to help you transform. Listen, there's a version. There's a version of you that will exist. And then there's a version of you that will exist only if you have the voice of people speaking to you. There's a version of the people around you, a version of your spouse and kids and Friends, there's a version of them that will exist. And then there's a version of them 
that exists as you speak God's word into their life, helping them get to where God is leading them to. That's the reality. God desires for us to be a community and a culture and to have relationships where we are, other language in the Bible, building one another up to maturity. God desires for us to never stay where we are. He wants to build us up to maturity. And maturity isn't only I'm a better person, but it's I know more of who he is. And I have more rest because I have greater belief. When we take communion, what we are remembering, and we'll do that in just a moment. If you didn't get a cup, you can grab one. When we take communion, what we are remembering is that he saved us, just like he did with the children of Israel, bringing them out of Egypt. He saved us. That he sent his son for his body to be broken, his blood to be shed. He saved us. But that's not where it stops. He wants us to fully experience He wants us to fully know the rest that he paid for, the rest that he bought, the truth of who he revealed himself to be on the cross. He wants us never to wander away from that. The truth of who he showed us that he is on the cross, he never wants us to not believe that. He's already proven who he is in every way. And he wants us to then live in the belief and the rest that that creates. And so when we take communion, we're We're remembering what he did, and then we're remembering also that he said, keep doing this in remembrance of me. So that belief would stay, that belief would remain strong, that belief would be consistent. And so as you take communion, I encourage you to confess, maybe where you haven't participated in this with the people around you. You've just let, it's between them and God. When really it's not. God says, no, it's between It's between you and them also, because I've put you there. Maybe we need to confess where we have left people to their own self-deception. Maybe we need to confess where we have resisted the voice of other people, believing it's between me and God. And maybe what we need to do is make a commitment and ask God's help to more regularly both give and receive. Maybe that's what the prayer looks like. God, help me to do this. Maybe there's particular people that you know that you need to speak to or that you need to give access to on a daily basis. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's to join a life transformation group or a community group. Or Ask God to help you more and more step into what he has for you so that you can experience transformation and that you can give that to others so that we all more fully experience the rest that he has paid for and saved us for. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that your desire and your plan for us is rest. I thank you that you speak to us all the time. We don't, we don't have a God that is silent. You are constantly speaking to us, and you want it even so badly in our life that your strategy is to speak through one another so that we are not just hearing your voice on some weekly basis, but we can hear your voice all the time. And so, Father, I thank you for that. I thank you that your desire 
is for us to daily live in your rest, to daily re-believe who you are. Thank you for that. God, help us as a community to grow into this in all of our relationships. Help us to bring your voice into one another's life. Help us to receive your voice through the people that you have put around us. Lord, let us be a community of transformation, a community that is continually being built into what you have for us. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.